Hello and welcome to The Stack. On today's show we explore pop culture, art, architecture, design and style with the editors of two clever titles dealing with the subjects. Sarah Harrison from Cultured Magazine and Lawrence Ramila from Technicart. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show in Paris to speak with the editor-in-chief of Technicart, Laurence Remila. The magazine is a clever exploration of pop culture in all its angles. Its tagline is Ideas Accelerator. From film to dance, it's all in there. Here is Laurence with more. We have this sort of um, tagline under the title of the magazine, Accelerateur d'idée, which means uh, ideas accelerator. And that's a sort of very grandiose way of saying that we want to present new ideas, new progressive ideas, uh, sort of avant-garde kind of contents in the most fun way possible. So I think that the way to sum that up would be to say that We try and be as pop as possible. I mean, I know a lot of people, a lot of media people these last few years have been using the words pop and pop culture a lot. But I think that that's the best definition of what we do is something very pop in the you know tradition of Interview Magazine, uh, Warhol's Interview Magazine, in the tradition of uh, English titles like The Face, you know, something like... Uh, Everything that Nick Logan did in England was very important to, to Technicart, so The Face, even Smash Hits for myself. I had the chance of uh, you know, spending my adolescent years in North London, so Smash Hits was very important. And then The NME, Melody Maker, The Face, and later on um, Spy, Private Eye, all these, all these titles that you know and people here in France don't necessarily know about that they've fed anyway my approach of what, I, what I've been doing at Technicart for the last six years or so. It's interesting that you mention you know this UK influence because I don't know this is my personal view I feel that French magazines they have more this spirit that you mention than actually British magazines these days I mean perhaps is this too controversial to say? It's very, very <laughs> controversial, Fernando, because what you're saying is that there's still baby boomers at the, at the helm or Generation X is more likely at the helm of uh, French magazines. But because a, a lot of the UK magazines, even titles that I refer to, like The Face, which you know, has resurrected and is, is going on still, old timers like myself, so I'm very much a, a Generation X member, We remember the face when there used to be, you know, long and in-depth articles written by people like Nick Kent. So those titles in England, I don't really see them today. I always see great, great things. You know, the face is on the pulse in terms of, of fashion and so on. But I'm still a bit frustrated. I have to go back to read the New Yorker or the Atlantic or Financial Times Weekend, which is a great read, to have some in-depth articles and then the sort of trendy titles that, ref you know, that reference that golden age, the 80s, 90s golden age. A lot of them I, I find are just lacking in you know, in-depth articles. 
And Lawrence, tell us a bit more about your career. You, you mentioned that you spent some time here in London, but did you start in France or, or the UK? I grew up in France and in fact, I grew up uh, hippie parents. So we traveled around a lot, Switzerland, Italy, France, India. I was kind of cut off from any kind of popular culture. So no films, no outside music, no pop music, no, no TV, no comics, no magazines, nothing. And the whole magazine adventure started for me when I was 13, when all of a sudden I had access to these, uh, to these titles. And uh, by then I was in North London, as I said, with my mother and I was allowed to, you know, read magazines and watch TV and go to the cinema and buy cassettes and records. This was the 80s. And I just became obsessed with them, you know. So there was smash hits. I was maybe too young for the face, but I was lapping up the UK music press, you know, uh, the NME, Melody Maker. I suppose that made me realize that you could do very fun things in a magazine format. You could really just explore it, uh, do crazy things. These were all titles that were always having fun. They were having uh, proper articles about the people they were covering, but they would be um, you know, at ease with poking fun of them once in a while. It was all very good nature, very um, bienveillant, which is a, an important word for us in France at the moment, but very good natured, never, never mean, never nasty. And I suppose that I still have some sort of uh, you know, residue from uh, those adolescent reading experiences. And then I went to the University of Canterbury, uh, where I studied literature and film theory, so a very useful degree. And after that, I came to France. I figured I'd, I'd have more luck finding some work in France. And that's exactly what happened. Started off with an advertising title called Stratégie. And then a few titles later, I was at Technicart, first as a journalist, and then we relaunched it with a few of the of the founders and a new investor. We launched it in 2016. So this is an adventure that started seven years ago. And uh, we've been going pretty strong ever since. We've been trying to um, take a mythic, legendary Paris title and, and give it a reboost. And I, I hope we've succeeded in that. And how often uh, Technicart comes, comes out uh, on the newsstand? It's a monthly magazine, so mm -hmm. in the, at the end of the first week of each month, if, if everything's gone well, we're in the, in the newsstands. And then, as well as the print version, of course, we're available as uh, all sorts of digital versions and uh, a thing here called Caffeine. I don't know if you've got that in England, which mm -hmm. is like a, a Spotify of uh, magazine titles that we, we, we do quite well on. We're very... Um, a lot of readers uh, tell us that they discover us through the digital. And then there's also, so these are all the, the, the paid readership comes from the print and the digital versions. And then we also have a lot of people, a lot of younger people, which is very, very important for a, a sort of a cutting edge avant-garde title such as ourselves, discover us through Instagram and the other uh, social networks. You also have other magazines under your helm, right? Besides Technicart, like uh, Schnock. Oh, the, so that was a that was a passion project mm. that, that I did in uh, 2011 with a, a friend of mine, Christophe, 
and that's published through a small publishing house called Latengo and distributed, very nicely distributed by Flammarion. So that was something I did on the side when I was a, a journalist at Technicart. And it took off. It had sort of critical success and sales success. It's like a book format, and it has eight, about 8,000 readers every three months. And what that really gave me the, the certitude of is when we did the Technicart reboot, we had a lot of people from advertising saying, who is your readership? How old are they? Are you a men's title? Are you a women's title? Are you this? Are you that? And because I'd seen with Schnock, which is a, to, to give your, your listeners an idea, it's sort of a cultural version of the oldie. So it's very much about mm. things that took place in the 1970s, 1980s. Now we're, we're moving along in terms of decades, but it's very the oldie-ish. It's very fogey. Schnock means uh, the old fogey. What the sort of success, relative success of this launch gave me was the certitude that you didn't have to limit yourself to being a title for 40 somethings, for 50 somethings, that it was silly to try and say that, you know, we're going to be, uh, we had a lot of this at the, at, the, at the relaunch, people saying to us, oh, are you like GQ? Are you a, a men's title? Are you this? Are you that? And because I'd seen that with Schnock, which was ostensibly aimed at elder people you know we said it was for people over you know 50 when in fact we saw that the readers you know, ranged from 25 to, to 85 with more people uh, I'll admit over over 40 or 50 but I'd seen that you could have a sort of wide-ranging readership so when it came to do Technicart and we had these outside advertising people saying to us, media sales people saying to us, oh, you have to be in a certain category. And we refused that. We wanted to be something more fluid, more um, all-encompassing. And with time, that's been proved right. You know, I think that titles now realize that they can be uh, fluid to take another term that's very uh, en vogue at the moment. So yes, I, I, I did do schnock and I, I, I still do schnock. That comes out once every uh, three months and it's a sort of a book format and in bookshops. That gave me the sort of um, will to do something without saying, oh, we're going to do a, a, a magazine. A lot of people are saying to us, you know, Technicart's been around since the 1990s. You should grow old with your readership. You should do this. You should... Uh, do something for over 40s. And I'm so glad that we didn't do that because I think that would have been the kiss of death. You know, we've really turned the magazine to trying and renewing and rejuvenating the readership. And people over 40 are very happy to read something that also is read by and has certain of its taste dictated by people who are 20, uh, you know, people in their 40s and their 50s who are in the creative industries, which is the case of a lot of our readers. They really like having that younger input. So thank you, Schnock, for that. You did the right choice. Uh, Lawrence, I have a, you know, a question here about the magazine market in France. As I told you, some, when I go to France, I don't know, I think it's quite vivacious. I see a lot of new titles. I think it's still quite an exciting market. You know, as a publisher, as an editor, would you agree with that? Yes, I mean, um, with time, when, you, when, when you're sort of a young gun starting out in media, you're going to be 
very obnoxious about your competitors and so on. But with with time, you have an uh, immense respect for people who've you know survived, who've reinvented themselves, who are, who are still there. That's I think one of the best qualities is is staying power. And I have to admit that a lot of independent titles managed to stay on the bookshelves. And I'm sure you go in very trendy places like the, the Palais de Tokyo Library and these sort of places. And the titles you see there, they've existed for like decades, you know. I'm thinking of Purple, of Double, all these uh, uh, Citizen Car, all these titles that are very, very trendy and that emerged in the 1990s. They're still going strong. I see that our uh, competitors and friends from society, the So Press Group, they just launched so many, so many magazines, and they've got this great strength and uh, and, uh, and and motivation to just keep print alive. And they're doing they're doing well. They've got a great readership, and I'm always discovering new titles. And then the big question is, are they going to stay a, a long time? But you know things like. Interlope, which I've seen recently, and I, I think that's uh, really, really good. So it's, I, I don't want to say anything too general, but like, you know, it's a difficult market or it's a vibrant market, because I think that what counts for each founder of a magazine, each head of a magazine, is to find their own footing and their own commercial footing, and uh, alongside that, their own readership, their own community of readers. And once you get the balance right between the two, then it's a very, uh, very nice market to be in. So it's difficult if you don't get that balance right. And, uh, and, and we've seen a lot of uh, titles uh, close. But if you manage to get the delicate balance, the delicate equilibrium right between your, your, your readership and the commercial, so the sales and all the advertising, then it's a really fun market to be in. Fantastic. Uh, Lawrence, thank you so much. Uh, pleasure talking to you and finding out a bit more about, about you and, and Technicas as well. Well, thank you, Fernanda. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lawrence. And for more, go to technicart.com. To the US now. Cultured is a title looking at art, architecture, design and style, featuring incredible contributors such as Wolfgang Tillmans, Martin Parr, among others. The latest cover is beautiful, with Shy Girl. To tell me a bit more about the publication, I had the pleasure to speak with the founder, Sarah Harrelson. I started the magazine about 11 years ago, and it is such, it's been such a kind of personal endeavor. I think I would say... We, you know, we're for the culturally curious. We cover a really interesting cross-section of creative disciplines. Unlike kind of, I guess, my background as an editor and a lot of people kind of in, in media, I have a much kind of broader view of how I edit the magazine. And I try not to subscribe to too many of the rules that were imposed on all of us, I guess, as, as editors and try to think a little bit more broadly about you know, the characteristics of interesting people. And I'm interested in, in a particular moment, whether that moment has to do with a particular show in a gallery or a movie release. You know, I think at some point, magazines got a little formulaic. And I think my my most, you know, driving inspiration when starting the magazine was to be less formulaic. So I, I would say, you know, basically, we're for the culturally curious and 
people who are interested in people and people who are interested in storytelling. And of course, sure, we look at the silos of contemporary art and other creative disciplines, I would say mostly led by contemporary art and kind of how that cross-section affects someone in film and how that cross-section affects someone in photography. But ultimately, it's really, it's about like people that intrigue us as editors. I love that. I also like that you mentioned, you know, don't listen to the rules. You know, the magazines have become a little bit formulaic, some of them. Because I feel sometimes people are almost embarrassed that they have a magazine. I mean, you should be proud. You know, we lo we all love print. And, and I think I like that about you because it feels to me that culture is in a little bit of an expansion mode as well, right? Yes. I mean, you know, I like to think we've always been in expansion mode. I mean, that's the thing when you start something from absolutely nothing. And, you know, of course, it grew slowly for many reasons. Uh, I didn't ever get outside funding. I have three children, but we've kind of always been growing. Of course, I would say with the exception of 2020, like everybody else. But since then, um, you know, every little, you know, new subscriber or expansion has been really rewarding. Obviously, since COVID or since 2020, I have had a very serious focus on digital growth. That's kind of been where we've been placing a lot of effort and of course, honestly, leaning in a little to print. I think there was that moment where everybody tried to make print a little bit more like digital, mm. you know, like, let's make it shorter. Let's like, you know, and I've kind of tried to go the other direction. Like, let's give them something that they can't get from reading a great profile online, which of course we all do. I like to do photo essays, um, you know, kind of just kind of, you know, play with really kind of interesting layouts and different kinds of pictures. We make a real effort to shoot, I would say, almost all of the book, if not all of it, a lot, a lot of it, especially compared to some other magazines. For me to document artists in their own spaces has been a real honor and something I've really put a lot of effort towards. And it's very creative as well, because, I mean, let's talk about, I have the cover here, as I said, of Shy Girl. I think it's a, I love her music, so, you know, uh, and, and I think the cover is, is brilliant as well. So, you know, that's what you're talking about, print. I mean, sure, you could see this online, but I think when you have this photo shoot in a magazine, I think it works so well. And I think there, there is a certain creativity here as well. It's not just, you know, the latest fashion, perhaps, but, you know, I, I really enjoy that one, actually. Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm kind of like a visual editor. Mm. I've always been someone who, when I read other things, I'm kind of drawn into the visuals. So to me, it's just like so important. It's all as important, you know, how it's laid out, the headline, the deck, the pull quote, the images, kind of, it's all kind of one experience to me. And, you know, again, back to print and digital, I feel like they're two different experiences. And we've tried to kind of just you know, embrace those two different experiences. And, you know, it's sad to hear that some people are embarrassed to have a magazine. I'm not embarrassed. I'm, I'm proud to still have a magazine. And every now and then, you know, and even, you know, we, we, we were, we're a small team as is, but there were times where we were even a smaller team after kind of recovering from COVID. And I was doing things I hadn't done in a long time as the editor-in-chief and founders, kind of approving pages online or going through, you know, every single thing. And I remember sitting there one day in the office and just thinking, this is such an incredible privilege, you know, to be able to do this. Um, and I still honestly find deadline exciting and I, mean, I don't want to say relaxing, but like kind of like an, like a privilege and so stimulating to be able to kind of look at all this work that the team has put together and then lay it out. Like that to me is one of the most exciting parts of the process. 
Sarah, one thing I'm curious, before the interview, you were talking about newsstands as well, and you mentioned some of the newsstands in LA. How do you see the publishing for magazines in the US? I mean, because I had this image that in the US is quite subscription-based, but is there still a hungry market for, for magazines, perhaps, in the newsstand, I mean? I mean, I guess it's hard to answer, you know, Fully, I can only answer from my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, newsstands has been really important to me. I don't, I don't really believe in free distribution. The magazine cost a lot of money to make and mm-hmm. and print, so we do sell a ton of single copies online. I am always kind of awestruck at the amount of people, young people, buying single copies online, which I think is, ends up being something like twenty five dollars per issue, which is quite a lot of money. To me, newsstands are so important. It's certainly where I went as a young person to kind of, you know, see this incredible, incredible breadth of magazines, whether, you know, design, art, architecture. So the newsstand to me as an entity is so incredibly important. As I said earlier, I believe in LA, they are alive and well. Um, And when I go to places like Casa Magazines in New York and Iconic Mulberry, they seem to be alive and well. And to me, there seems to be a rise of independent magazines, which I think is really thrilling. Um, we're also for sale in in museums, which I think, you know, museum gift shops are a really important place to be sold for us. So I hope there continues to be, you know, this incredible desire for young people to go to a newsstand because what else, like where else can they get such interesting information globally in a newsstand, in a good newsstand? And who is your reader? You mentioned young people. Do you feel that you have quite a young readership and and perhaps some people outside the U.S. as well? Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, as uh, as some marketing directors will tell you, you know, print <laughs> never got it right because you could never tell us who your reader was. So there's certainly that leap of faith in the print. Like, I, this is who I think reads us. Obviously, digitally, we have much more concrete information. And I would say New York has always been our number one market. New York, LA are our top two. And then we kind of digitally flop between London, Paris, and Mexico City. We are on a newsstand in Paris and in London, and we do have some international distribution. You know, when I started the magazine, I really was focused on art fairs. This is very early on, and I've branched out since then, but I still feel that art fairs are a really important point of distribution. So again, honestly, I kind of thought that our reader, I would say years ago, is someone, you know, very focused on, you know, the ecosystem within the contemporary art world. And they were, you know, interested in other creative disciplines as well. I really think as we've broadened our content scope, especially digitally into food and, and music and all these other cross sections, and you know, it's it's really a very healthy mix of content that we that we cover now. So I would say, you know, I don't even know if I could define a particular age group of, of people who who buy the magazine, but I would say it's kind of more of a type. You know, it's a person who is interested in the creative universe and what kind of inspires people to go on and do kind of miraculous creative things, whether it's in the art world or in the, you know, entertainment world or a writer or a poet. So the only hard demographics I have are from our digital audience, which actually is, I think the bulk of it is between 30 and 45. Another thing I wanted to talk to you is that you had uh, two special editions for the summer in the Hamptons. I would like you to explain that. And first of all, 
I like that you've done that because even here in Monaco, we believe that I think some magazines, you know, they take a hiatus during the summer. But actually, I feel that a lot of people want to read quite a lot, actually, during the season. So I think it's quite important. Uh, so I'm very glad you had this uh, special editions as well. Tell us a bit more about it. Actually, I wish I did it earlier. I had a good friend who just kept saying to me, I can't believe you're not in the Hamptons. Like, I can't believe you're not in the Hamptons. And I said, oh, the Hamptons is all about free distribution. And I don't believe in free distribution. And I can't bear to see my magazine stacked up outside of, you know, a coffee shop or something. But it kind of stuck with me. And also just because obviously the incredibly rich artistic history in the Hamptons. And there was a part of me, I guess, that really wanted to showcase that side of Long Island. And, and so last summer, I kind of kept thinking, you know, in my head a little bit, you know, how do I do this? How do I accomplish this? How do I do free distribution? And then I found, which of course you, you can't see, but I found this kind of oversized broadsheet that I wanted to do. And I have to say, back to my conversation about layout, it was so thrilling to kind of have a different vessel, shall we say, for the content that we create. And uh, it's been one of the like more exciting developments, I think, in the last year or so. And then, as I said, this year, we ended up doing two. And honestly, I could do five with the amount of content that there is out there. And it's been really well received. And it is free. We, we do distribute it free in front of the you know movie theaters and the coffee shops and, and everything. But again, we do focus a lens on the creative culture in each of the Hamptons, you know, Sac Harbor has an incredibly rich history, um, the Springs, all of these things. And there are a lot of artists that live out there. And, you know, as so many have said, you know, the light is magical. The light is magical out there. So it's been great and really fun to work within a different format. And I also did guest editors, which I don't, I haven't done with the main magazine. Last summer, I did Micheline Thomas because she was curating a show at the Parish Museum. And this summer, I did the incredible artist Joel Messler, who was amazing and gathered all of his amazing friends to be on the cover. And then the second issue, I focused a little bit more on the design community out there with an incredible friend and designer named Kelly Bion. And you'll be back next year. I'll be back next year. That's I'm great. thinking of other places to go. <laughs> and <laughs> and Coachhood is a quarterly title, right? You know, we, we're actually five and it's such a, it's a kind of a weird thing, but I was, I was doing four mm. and I was like, I can't even remember what year this was, maybe five <laughs> years ago. I was thinking about six and I was kind of scared. And then I said, okay, let's just do five. And we ended up doing a June, July, August. So it's kind of quarterly. And then we have a June, July, August, which kind of works. It's worked with our advertisers. It's worked with everything. So we've been five times a year for, I don't know, probably the last seven or eight years. That's fantastic. Uh, listen, Sarah, I love the magazine and love the expansion mode, the plans, the love for print. Uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much, Sarah. And for more, go to coachedmag.com. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Jack Jewers. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, do subscribe to The Stack on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And before we go, a little song for you. And sing. Pop. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Dirty pop, baby, baby, you can't stop. I know you like this. Dirty
classify the type of thing we do. Cause we're just fine doing what we like. And we say the same for you. I'm tired of feeling all around me. Animosity. Just worry about drugs cause I'm gonna get mine.